All right, then, welcome to the MSC podcast number 10. No, number two of the year. We'll call it that. We'll stick with that. Uh, so, all four of us this week, uh, we're going to cover a few topics. So, we're going to start off by talking our, um, a bit more about the recent blog that Luke wrote on um, veganism. Uh, so, we'll go dive into that a bit, and then we'll, I'm sure we'll just go from there and see where the conversation takes us. So, yeah, Luke. Why did you choose that topic? I chose that topic. I think it's a very uh, prominent one at the minute. I think people following a plant-based diet, or at least being aware of how many animal products they eat, is, is definitely on the rise. So, and also that coincides with January when doing uh, Veganuary. Um, and also I think that when people talk about like the vegan diet, they automatically talk about uh, game changers, which is something that someone commented uh, in the post straight away. Um, so I decided to, I was between two subjects, but I thought this one would be a really good one to do. And I also really like the, the study uh, layout and, and, and how it was set up, because a lot of the times, which I'm sure we'll talk about later when we're talking about research, is a lot of things are put in to elicit a certain response. Like they're put up with like, like the two extremes of something to compare to see the effect it would have. While this was a very uh, typical diet, it wasn't 100% meat. Like they were just eating beef every day for the omnivore diet. And for the plant, they were just eating like grass or whatever. It was a very much a realistic diet. So everything was controlled. I think the omnivore diet, they're eating 70% animal products and then 30 uh, plants or something around that that percentage. So it was like a very realistic um, comparison. Um, and I also think it gave really good um, direction for people that were looking to, to start a vegan diet. I think a lot of people worryingly do say, oh, I'm worried it's going to affect my training. In particular, the drop from being a vegetarian to vegan, it does get more difficult. Um, so I think it had some clear uh, takeaways for people to have that they could just apply to, to, um, to their diet. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just the perfect time uh, to do it. Excellent, yeah. Have you ever gone vegan yourself or gone like vegetarian or tried it at all? <clears throat> no. Um, or has anyone? Like, uh, 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 yeah. No, I haven't. No. <laughs> this is the one group but that but that's another reason why like we intentionally chose like a clickbait art uh, title because we thought you know we, we four people that you know we, we post about food and it's a big steak or a big chicken but like, we, we we are omnivores we like eating meat so i thought automatically put that headline up like ian snape automatically thought it was going to be a bad thing i reckon um and i've quite liked it because i think it was quite um subjective so I think that's why it was also good to do because we are all omnivores. I have thought about it in the past. I would never go completely um, vegetarian. I've been at stages aware of like trying to cut down on meat ever so slightly. Um, yeah, more more like I think pescatarian would be like swapping meat for fish um, for like sustainable sources. I don't think I could probably drop any lower than that. But fair play to people that do. Uh, but yeah, it's not for me. Would you ever like? Sorry, what? Yeah, what? What I liked about it was it was it you know it was unbiased, it was it was fair, and uh, yeah, I wish like more more articles and more online posts and social media and conversations were were like that were were kind of factual based, and then like here are the facts, here's an opinion, like and you know t- take take from that take from that what you want and make your own choices. It wasn't trying to shove, you know, some something down your throat one way or, or the other, um, which is what, what I really liked about the the article. Yeah, I wasn't trying to sell anything either. Like, there's a lot of uh, opinions on each I mean, you look at like, 
exactly. You look at like, like I, I coach quite a lot of powerlifters um, and I, I, off the top of my head, there must be at least five or six that are, are vegetarian. There's a couple that are vegan. Um, and like, it's good to have some good information for them to, to say, because I mean, all things being equal, it, it's a lot easier to be um, an omnivore, but, but as things are like progressing through time and it's getting more popular, there, there are more options. Like you look now, Subway released a, a chicken alternative. Um, so like even Subway, all pretty much takeaways and restaurants now have a good vegan menu. It was, a few years ago, I went to London with Navta, who's someone that I coach, and we went to a restaurant and there was no vegetarian option. So I had a steak and she had a bowl of ice cream for her main. Um, and that was like four years ago. So comparatively now, that would never happen. Yeah. Uh, there would always be a, a, a decent option on there. And it's not just like the same meal without meat. I think it has progressed. So it was nice to to give them, that was at the forefront of my mind when I was writing it and give them more information about like how to apply it and how they can cover the bases. Because people do get worried about not being as efficient as people that meet. And they might seem it as like a, a detrimental diet, but it doesn't have to be if you apply things smartly. Yeah. Um, it's also like, because I've never done um, like vegetarian or anything like that. Um, but what about like the, the cost um, comparison? Did, did you look into that at all? Like, say, like a week shopping for a uh, a vegan is it a lot more expensive? Is that because that might be a reason why people tend not to go for it? So it's funny because I mean, I don't know. I, I've not looked into any research that looks at like people that eat high protein vegan versus not. But one of the stats when they talk about uh, trying to like on the vegan, oh, I can't remember the page, but the vegan society, I think it was, and they compared the price. And it said that a meat diet is like 500 pounds more expensive for the year yeah. around that. Um, so they're saying actually that eating meat is more expensive, but that's not people that are going to be making uh, decisions to try and eat a high protein diet. The, the people that would just like stop eating meat and would eat just maybe the vegetable side of things. So I, I'm not sure of anything that like compares high protein yeah. vegan versus um, yeah. interesting. The study said that um, the, the best source of protein in terms of like amino acid profiles and digestibility is, is fungus. Uh, protein so stuff like corn um as a higher full complete amino acid profile compared to to like the the plant alternative so it seems that actually like choosing those is is better and i think that's probably i don't know if it's cheaper but i know that corn's not like massively expensive compared to to like minced beef i guess it just depends on the, the quality of the meat you buy and then the um of course yeah the quality of the veggie veggie stuff you buy as well um yeah Oh, cool. Okay. Um, have you ever like directed any of like your clients or anything to go vegetarian or vegan or anything like that? Or, or would you? I'm sure, would so, you know? sure Sonia has. <laughs> no, I haven't personally. I think like you. <laughs> I haven't personally, but you know, I, I like I like people to make their own own choices. Um, and I think we're you know the modern day world. We've got the luxury of of choosing to be vegetarian or vegan if if we want to. As Luke says, like things have progressed quite a lot in the last few years, especially. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think as a coach, like we spoke about in the last podcast, like you've got to get an understanding of your your clients' personality and lifestyle. Um, you know, as as a part of you know how to how to coach them in a holistic manner. You know, um, so what they're doing outside the gym. We talked talk about step counts and things like that, and I think it's the same with nutrition. So. You're going to have some guys who are like, right, I've been a lifelong vegan or vegetarian. And the last thing I'm going to do is try and say, well, actually, you should eat meat because yeah. there's a better, better quality of proteins, amino acids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's it's the same the other way around as well. If someone's like, you know, 
I'm, I'm from the countryside, so you won't see too many too many vegans and vegetarians. And like, if you've got, you know, if you're trying to say to one, someone who's eaten meat their whole life and say, well, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, in my opinion, that's not really that's not really the way to to go. And you, you know, from a moral from a moral perspective, but also from um, a perspective of making too big a changes for someone. You know, we, was, we speak about nutritional coaching and making small changes and small steps. So the last thing you want to be doing, in, in my opinion, is to say, right, well, I'm a big believer in, you know, in, in, in you know, veganism or, you know, you know, meat eater, whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, and, and not, not trying to force that down someone's throat, but getting an understanding of where they're at and give advice as to, you know, right, okay, well, how, you know, I'm, I'm a vegan eater, I'm worried about, you know, making progress in the gym and then just having the information there like Luke Sullivan is in his article of, right, this is what you can do better. And if you're a meat eater, you're not, you're not the devil, you know, um, it's like, right. Okay. This is, this is what you can do. Um, you know, you're eating some really good meats there with great, great nutritional value. Um, however, your fat content's a little bit high. So maybe try and swap in there. So you might have someone who says, okay, I'm a bit conscious, like Luke was saying, but you know, if you, a meat eater but you're conscious and you just want to cut down a little bit what are the alternatives so i think it has to be a subtle and progressive uh, approach so when you like, oh yeah can i just follow on for that quickly yeah, um so pretty much what mark exactly said it's if if people are making a, a decision on their own bat you give them the information that they need to take away with and um, the difference lies i think is if someone says I want to switch to being a vegan because I think it's going to increase my performance or if they're doing it for a different reason apart from ethics. So if it's, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because I want to cut down on my meat. I'm, I'm aware that I'm eating a lot and I think it could be a good thing to do. Then you give them the information to take away and say, look, this is the, this is what you need to do. This is the data that we have on the vegan diet. If someone comes up to you and says, it's not because of ethics, it's because I saw game changes and this guy was uh, an amazing footballer and he was on a vegan diet. Then you give them the information to say, look, if you want to, do, if you want to become a vegan, fantastic. However, this is the research yeah. on that. So I think depending on the, the, the way that people come, the majority is because of ethics, but occasionally you'll get someone that's watched something and then will say, oh, well, actually, I'm going to eat chicken nuggets because Usain Bolt eats chicken nuggets. And then you give people the proper info. Was he, was he a terrible footballer and then changed to vegan and became an amazing footballer? He had he had two vegan meals and then he got drafted to the NFL. Uh. So when when you get people who are like um, you know like you say really adamant that you should you should go vegan you should go vegan or or whatever mm. nutrition um, approach they they think you should because they let's say they cite some research and say look this is the results they got so therefore you should do it. Where do you draw the line between applying the results from like research into sort of a practical situation so like like in the study you you talked about luke um in your blog it's like how do you where do you draw the line with the inferences you make from yeah. the results so like you look at the, the, the study was done on like older people it was done on like 50s plus it was they trained one leg and not the other and then they looked at the difference in the muscle point synthesis compared to that and then they compared it to the other group so it, because it's so invasive, you can't do a long-term study of something like that. Like to look at like muscle protein, it's quite an invasive thing. You can't do it for long periods of time because people just won't commit to it. So from that, you look at that and you think, okay, so the diet was like a legit diet that people would follow, but training one leg comparatively to the other is not, it's a decent way to look at muscle protein synthesis, but we just don't do that. So I think you can look at research and then you have to, 
look a little bit deeper, a lot of people read the abstract and then that's it. But if you look a little bit deeper, actually what the study says, there's then more takeaways uh, to take that, that to get from it. If you come away from nutrition for a second, like it's a bit easy to explain for, for, for like a training one. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite studies looks at like the recovery timeline of um, high volume versus high intensity. And the, the, the protocol that it uses is absolutely ridiculous. It's done to elicit a response. It's something like, it might be like 10 sets of 10, uh, 80%, which I don't know who the fuck can do that, but I wouldn't get one set versus 10 singles at 100%. And it's like not one person who I know that's trained for more than three months could do that workout. And then the look at the time course for recovery, like, oh yeah, it took them longer to recover from the 10, 10. Versus, and it's like, you know, no one's going to do that. If you compared four sets of six compared to three singles, it might be a different, but it, it gives you an idea that maybe, okay, the higher volume session is going to be slightly longer to recover from than the higher intensity. And that can then help you set out your training program where if you like squatting twice a week, you might do like a higher intensity followed by the higher volume rather than the other way around. But again, like you've got to look at the caveats and say, no one does that protocol but there's takeaways from it. To expand on that, like that, that was going to be my next point was like about reading the abstract. Um, so, I mean, that that's, you know, that's target number one is actually to do a bit of research. So that's, that's, that's better than, than nothing. A lot of people with, um, you know, with sports science, strength conditioning and politics and things like that will read something on Unilad or, you know, whatever, or just read, read something online and just be like, oh, well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so. And that's just literally someone someone who's biased opinion. Yeah. That's not even, like, that's not, not even research. Don't take that as scientific, you know, quantitative data and just sprout it as the gospel. You know, so we've got to do a research and then that, that's your next level. And then you do your research and it's like, oh, I've read this abstract and it says that, whatever it says whatever you know 10 10s is amazing and it's like okay actually look into like Lou says you know look into the subjects look into um the the the, the length of the study the, the the amount of subjects the type of subjects um the actual protocols as well behind the the, the research um uh, like in, you know there's an example there of you know, whatever you know 10 10s and you know, singles and things like that. And that that's that's really important as well. So like step one is actually do your research and don't just sprout shit. And then the second thing is let's actually look at the research and look a bit beyond look at the context. The abstract. Let's get some context from it and um and, and go from there really. Because I think, think people, do you think oh go on. No, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty do you think people much. um you know they do take like you say, whether it's a politics or uh, nutrition or some sort of trading um, research, and they they tend to just focus on the title because it is just that so much easier. Because if you if you have to dive into every single thing, who's got time in their day to do that for every every decision they make? Do you know what I mean it's a very time consuming process? So do you think it's a shame in a way that people are cashing in on that because they know people will just look at look at titles and clickbait articles? So they know people aren't going to do further research. So it's just, yeah, it's just so much easier for them to just. It's, it's a very time consuming thing to look at all the research that's done every single month. And yeah. that's why we, so we, we, we pay for a subscription that diverts all the condenses, all the research down. It explains it, the clear bits that you all need to know from an impartial thing. And that's, it's, it's so valuable because otherwise you're just looking through millions of articles 
um, every single month. But like you said, you need to read everything. You need to to look at the the full. The big one is like the participants in 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 the studies because there's no money in in, in sports science comparatively to like other studies. So you're just begging people to take part in these studies. And often at times like they've never trained or they've trained for like three months. You try and convince like you'll you you, you know Sonia will know when she's trying to do like the masters and yourself trying to get someone to commit to like a twelve week program. It's hard, man, because if you already train, like, I'm not going to stop training for 12 weeks to do your training program. But like Dave, that's never done a training program in his life, if you're offering 12 weeks of, of free training, he'll absolutely jump at it. So straight away, that's your market for, for sports science. And that needs to be taken into account as well. If you look at these studies all the time, it's like they've gained 60% on their lift. And it's like, that's it's never going to happen to any. Yeah, yeah, because they've got no lift to fucking begin with. Yeah. Um, it's hard, isn't it? I think, like, with, you know, like you say, it's, it's really hard to, like, condense all the articles and, you know, like you say, who, who's got time to, you know, if, if, you, if you're not a, um, you know, if, if you're not employed or educated in that subject, who's got time to filter through all those all those articles? You know, we should because it's, you know, it's our, our job, our industry, but you can see how the modern, like, you know the modern way of things and you know attention spans being a bit lower and like everything that's available on a, on a phone and instagram things like that with headlines and clickbait and stuff like that. Dances, don't they? you can see how you can see how the average person will you know just digest those 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 headings um and those kind of one two liners rather than actually looking into things and doing research themselves it's much easier just to say you know, and that's that's in strength conditioning, that's in nutrition, that's in politics, that's in anything, isn't it? It's like, you know, right, well, I've seen that on Instagram, I've seen that, not doing your research. And, um, you know, and, and then there's a Netflix documentary and it's like, for the modern day person, it's a lot easier to sit down and read that. So, it, you know, it is, is, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult for people, I think. Sonia, when you're doing your uh, like research for your degree, have you found it hard to like recruit participants? Um, I think it's it's hard because you need to have the group like controlled or as similar as possible. Yeah. But I really liked how you dipped into it with saying like when you like a coach and actually look into what type of participants that was and what was their training like. That's what kind of we see like that's what we read that's what we're interested in when we read an article like you know like you straight away know that this was done on like elite footballers or elite, elite rugby players so okay i'm gonna question if it's gonna apply to my clients or my athletes and this is the same so like it's really really tough to find a similar group like with similar training or I like you know because obviously then you don't want to have such such variety like someone does powerlifting and then you have someone who just you know do a regular gym like that's a big difference so and as you said like there's no money so literally people trying to get anyone into those studies like and I think the big one is that athletes don't have time to give you 12 weeks of training so that's where you need to be really careful when you're reading who was the study done with and how was the study like applied like that that big one and that's I think the as Ben wanna like talk about evidence based coaching, I think that's where you gotta start question what the coaches claim. Like they yeah. some like most coaches like say, Well, this research says but then when we read it, 
we know that there's a difference. It's like the game changer, the Netflix document. Like, we know there's a bit more behind, like, the buyers, like, what money was into it and, you know. So, just, you, can't just, you can't just believe something you see yeah. produced like, in this mass way. Yeah, if people cite, you know, cite some study and it confirms their pre-existing beliefs, then Bias, yeah. they're not, they're not going to look into, like, the, the contents and nuance if, if it could potentially, like, hinder what they're actually saying. Um, because I think not... the issue now is that so many people like say, well, but the research says, mm -hmm. and they just started to use the word research and science, but well, what science is it actually? Is it rubbish? You know, like you have to still be critical about this research because not every research is good and not every study is valuable. Yeah. So, and yeah, yeah that's probably on us. There's definitely levels of research in terms of like, you know, when they do like a single study versus when they do a longitudinal study versus when they do, um, what's it called, when they compare all the, the data for like 10 articles. Oh, like a second um, literature review or meta-analysis. A, 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 a meta-analysis, yeah. yeah. There's definitely levels to it. And people will scout like, oh, this, I read this one article or I yeah. saw this one thing. Yeah. And then you, you can always trump that by saying, well, like, well actually the meta-analysis says yeah. this. Because you'll find a study that will back up your biases 100%. Um, yeah. And if you're impartial, then that's, yeah, that's that. One thing I do like a study when you talk about like um, different people for, for what the research is, there's a, there's a really good study and I've spoken to Mark about it a, a billion times. He's like doing the acute power base session before um, like a, a, a volume day. And the study is done on like team sports. I think it was footballers again. And it was like doing a vertical jump and then going into like some strength work the day after, but it was based off increasing your performance on the football pitch. But then you take those characteristics and you think, how could that apply um, to my sport? So we know it's going to apply for team sports because force production is going to be higher the day after. But will it apply to, which my primary concern is strength training and, and powerlifting. Does it apply to, to weightlifters? So you can take like the overall look of the subject. You've got to say, okay, it's not based on my demographic, but yeah. do the principles apply? And then you apply it yourself. You try it and it might work for some and it might not for others, but it, it gives you a gives you something to kind of explore a little bit further um, yeah, if, if that's something that you want to do. That was going to yeah. be my next uh, question, actually. Like, obviously, you know, you're a very high-level high, high level athlete. Um, how often do you sort of look at the research and adjust your training protocols? Do you, like, say, I don't know, every three months have a look and adjust, or do you do it weekly, or what do you sort of...? I pretty much never adjust my uh like i'll try little things but i want like it won't because this is the whole thing about if you've got your own kind of belief and you've got your own research then yeah. there's not going to be one article that ever comes out that's going to make me change my whole belief system i'm not going to be currently doing something there and say oh my god this says that singles all year round is, is definitely the best because i've already got my belief system and i've already got what i know works yeah. and i've already got a good amount of understanding they're not once full swing is going to swing it around yeah. however like a few years ago, I tried the power base session before I did a competition or before, not on a competition, sorry, but I did it before like a heavy session, see if it works, see how I felt the day after. And then I thought, okay, that was pretty good. I'll apply that to when I do a competition. Um, so like rather than like a complete overhaul, because I've already got my beliefs and that's the key with anything. If no one's already got their, their, their full understanding, they get swung around by every single piece of research that, that's come out. Like one week they're saying this is the best thing, the next week they're saying something else is the best thing. If you've already got you a good understanding, you already fully read and you've applied it yourself, you might change a couple of little things, but you're not going to have this complete overhaul. Um, so I think like having your own belief system avoids you doing that. Uh, but I'm, I'm more than open to, to the 
you know, new research and then applying little things to it, but it's never going to be like a complete overhaul. And I think that's the same for, for anyone. Like there'll be new research that comes out in, in like team sports, like, you know, people tracking like tonnage and people tracking like their mileage that they're winning. Um, and then like trying to stay within this, like acute chronic ratios is massive at the minute, the last two years. Two years ago, no one had done that, but it's not like a massive overhaul. It's just applying something to what you already do. Um, yeah. yeah, does that answer what you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear that you don't, uh, you know, like you say, you've got your own case study being yourself and you just adjust here as you go. Good. But it's the same with like, it's the same with clients. Like I'm trying to, you know, 30 odd people and there'll be a new research that comes out and says, this could be superior to this. And then, you know, you have a look into it and you think, okay, the principles might apply to these people. Let's yeah. give it a try. But it's not completely changing all of the training. It's applying a very small change for an extra couple of percent. And it's these little tweaks rather than like a complete overhaul, yeah. which is what the research is going to dictate. Interesting. Uh, the me All right. So sticking with the uh, topic of nutrition, do you, do you think it's uh, important that everyone track their calories at some point or consistently? What's, what's your opinions on that? Sonia, what are you thinking? Um, I think that it would depend on on the specific person's goal, uh, whether it's like you know if it's performance or if it's just like feeling good, like losing losing weight or fat loss, basically. Um, I think it would be probably good and beneficial for everyone, kind of go through a period where you where you have some idea of what meals uh, and what food, like what, how, much, how many calories they have, because I think this is a big one if people never actually look into the labels. Because, um, you know, like you often maybe hear from, from your own clients, like I've only had this and I've only had that. But when actually like it, it's a lot. So I think like having just like a basic knowledge of, of like what you're consuming is, is good. And then I think um, from the perspective like performance and like taking your training to another level um probably for a while i don't know like i know like myself and luke i know like he's doing it like almost all the time but like when you for let's for let's say a week or for a holiday period don't track like you already kind of know how much to eat so i think it teaches you how to how to how to behave and how to how to cook and how to eat um so i think yeah it's vital um, but maybe again, you gotta be careful because people can get trapped into being too skeptical about, you know, like I, I don't know how to put this in my, my fitness pal. I'm not gonna eat it. So again, you gotta like have that line in between what's healthy and what's avoid wrong. certain foods because they can't track it. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, like I'm not gonna eat out. I'm not gonna go. You know, like I'm not gonna have this or if someone brings a cake or whatever. Like keeping these things like i think that's not good for the mental side of the thing yeah. but to give you an overall like opinion and idea of how much you eat if you, you know you know you know people say I, I i can't lose weight i don't know what i'm doing wrong like i just eat you know salad but then they forgot let's say to add the dressing like into into the fact that well that's the calories yeah so yeah mm. hope that answers the question yeah I think uh, I think exactly what you said. So, like, depending on your personality, depends on what level that you need to go in for. Because there's some people and they've got like really disordered eating, um, and like can become like quite obsessive with stuff like that. And you see them like weighing like every single item, like how many grams of tomato, even though it will only be like four calories difference if it's a hundred grams or four. Um, so, depend on the personality, depends on how much you ask them to track. So, for some people, it might just be a case of saying. 
like rather than tracking calories, they aim to have a, a fistful of protein and two vegetables with each meal or something like that. Um, but I do think that aside from disordered eating, if you haven't got any any like past with, with, with that as an issue, um, you need to track at some point. So we had a guy um, through the elite membership that said he'd used a calculator recently to work out what his calorie deficit should be. Um, and it was like 1800 calories, which is, is quite low. But it's based, the calculators are based purely off averages. So what I think we all agree with as coaches is that when we get people to start a, a nutritional uh, program, um, is to track themselves for a week, um, track the weight, kind of have get a, for, for a male, it's very easy because you can just track the weight. There's very minimal in terms of fluctuations from like a hormonal perspective um, and from the cycle. Um, and then you can just see if they've lost weight through that week or if they've gained weight. And then from there, you can manipulate the calories. Um, but I think the ultimate aim is then to become as kind of intuitive as possible for the majority of people. And there'll be times where you have to go back into eating and tracking your calories all the time. But for most people, they want to get just to an intuitive point. So I track every single day, but I pretty much just like it at the end of the day and make sure there's no massive errors. And I pretty much eat now within 50 calories every single day. I log very half arse like I don't weigh anything. Uh, well, I do waste, I don't weigh like salads and stuff. Um, so I think the aim is to get as intuitive um, as you can. But everyone needs to track at some point to just get an understanding of what their body responds to. Because the calculator could say 1800, but this guy might actually need 2200 calories um, and still lose fast weight. So I think you can use the calculators to get a starting point, but ultimately tracking and then comparing to your own activity levels is vital. Happy days, happy days. What about you, Mark? You've tracking. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. I think it's something that everyone should do at, um, at some point because it gives you an awareness um, and it can be quite eye-opening, to be honest. I mean, you know, I didn't do it, you know, at all until probably five or six years ago was probably the first time I did it. And it was quite eye-opening, to be honest, um, you know, as much as I thought, you know, thought I knew about, you know, um, nutrition and calories and things like that. You know, it was, it was, you know, I did, I did learn. Um, there was a few things that, took me by surprise um so i think you you know it's worth doing for everyone just for uh, you know at worst just a little bit you know of awareness about what you're doing not saying you have to go and track you know every day for the rest of your life and um, for me it's on and off like i'll go through periods where you know if i'm if i'm aware that like you know i want to just make some subtle changes to body composition or if energy levels are low or performance levels you know were low so i mean there was a period last season before games where i was really just felt really tired and stuff and I you know I went back into like just you know actually looking into what um what I was eating so I started logging for a bit and I did see one or two uh things that things that I was missing so um you know it's uh, it's context I think like you know and um for, you know right right now I'm not tracking but I've just become aware recently that like my, my protein levels have definitely slipped off like probably in the last like three, six months, to be honest, it's been sloppy. Um, so that's something that I'm consciously trying to improve. Um, but I'm not feeling the need to track it at the moment. I'm just trying to make a more conscious effort. And then I might track again for, you know, for a little bit, but I'm not in a weight categorized sport. So I'm not like a kilo or two kilos here and there. I'm not too fussed about, I've got a good understanding now of like, you know, pretty much what, what I'm, what I'm on uh, daily now, but you've got to go through that kind of process and, and do it, do it on yourself to, to build that, you know, that understanding and those learnings. If, if someone, I, I also, go on. 
I also think for the majority of people that you don't need to track every single um, uh, macronutrient. You can just, so for most people, if it's just like from a yeah, aesthetic perspective, it's just a protein target and a novel calorie target. You don't specifically need to, to track your carbohydrates and fats, as long as there's like some kind of, of balance there. Okay. But if someone's then if someone's then looking for the next like 3%, like I'm currently trying to, I'm trying to like a higher carbohydrate diet. Similar to what you said about the research earlier, there's there's some good research out this last couple of months about like higher carbohydrate diets in particular in, in and around the workout and the uh, the effect that can have on like calcium handling and then also force production. So I'm trialing now a higher carbohydrate diet. So I'm tracking every macro for the first time. I won't do it forever, but it's just to kind of get that extra two, 3%. But for the majority of people, they just need to track their overall calories and then have a protein target. So it doesn't have to be as obsessive as maybe people that think. Was, that was going to be my next uh, question, actually. Like if someone was coming up sorry. to you starting out, sorry. Um, like what would you say with the top, you know, things to focus on initially? And like you said, uh, protein and overall. Uh, so I, th- there was, there was, there was a really good meta-analysis by Brad Schoenfeld and it was looking, and I think he's the leader on, on this subject. And it's looking at like the amount of protein that you can absorb per meal. And people always spout out saying, oh, 25 grams, 30 grams, and it doesn't take anything into account. And I think actually the research is 0.4 to 0.55 grams per your kilo. So if you weighed hundred kilo, 40 to 55 grams. And then the overall target is 1.6 to 2.2 in terms of maximizing like muscle protein synthesis. So you can break that down there. So for a hundred kilo guy, 160 to 220 grams of protein a day and divided by meals between 40 to 55. So if you do 50 grams, if you have five meals at 50, that gets you, is that right? Four meals at 50 and gets you 200 uh, grams of protein. Quick maths. Um, So I use that as a good... For older people, I think this, it's, it's slightly higher, but but like for most people that we work with, it's between 0.4 and 0.55, separated over like four to five meals, depending if you aim for the low or the higher aim. And I think that's a really good starting point. But like Mark said earlier about not just completely overhauling someone. So if someone's on like, I don't know, 30 grams of protein, you're not going to say, well, actually, we need to put it up to two grams per kilo because it's just not going to happen. We're just slow, incremental um, increases is, is the key. And I think the protein is the main one. Nice. So does it does it frustrate you when you see things online where people um, like are so adamant about a certain either nutritional plan or training plan where they give such like um, black and white? Yeah, black and white. Like this works. Yeah. This definitely works. Does it really frustrate you? Where, and if it does frustrate you, where would you sort of direct people to look elsewhere to get better? Because obviously, you know, general population aren't going to look into every research article on training or nutrition because you know it's not like i say there's only a finite amount of hours in the day so where would you direct people to look to get the best information possible i'll just jump in there i think like with um you know it's not it's not the average person's job to to know that and to do that so ask you know ask ask an expert get in touch with an expert i think it's the same in any you know in any any subject really um you know is go and find someone you know, with experience, well researched, and uh, well, 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 well thought of in, in a particular industry, and 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 try and learn learn from that that person um, would be my first first thing I would say. Yeah, I am always I always have to just be wary of, of the extremes of anything. So, like, I'm on this zero carb diet, or I'm on this you know high ridiculously high protein or super high like all of the extremes are where the issues are the, the middle ground tends to be what is best for most people 
However, I don't get frustrated anymore at anyone because you just you'll get nowhere in life. Like, yeah. someone comes up to you every single day and gives you some some bullshit that they've read, and you just can't, can't really bother you unless they are a client or if they actively ask you a question about it. If someone comes up to me and says, "Oh, the keto diet is the best. I've lost this amount of weight. Fantastic. Have a good day." If someone says to me, "Luke, uh, I want to get coached by you. I'm on a keto diet. What do you think?" You just give them a little bit more research. There's a few different people out there that that are good to, to learn off. But I think like Mark said, just going to someone that's reputable, um, like fairly local, I think it's good to work with someone in person. Um, and someone when you can see that like the information they're putting out has good research in it, but also like they can back it up with clients that they've, they've actually made a difference with, because it's easy having all the research, but if you can't apply it to your clients, something's getting lost in translation or you're not good at communicating it or you can't make people buy in, that's massive as well. So I think you need to have a look at who's putting out good content and who's actually getting good results. Yeah, nice. I think it's easier, like, it's an easier sell for, you know, for people, isn't it? Um, you know, you get, you're going to get these influencers and you're going to get these, these people that are trying to sell something that sounds trendy. It sounds like a quick fix, you know, whatever it is, a 5-2, a keto, or give it a cool name. Or, and, then, you know, and you'll try, you'll try and sell that particular product, you know, sounds a bit sexier than, like, the, the basics of, of nutrition fundamentals yeah i think the good one is then like if you're saying that if, if someone would approach you as the coach and then say like i'm on this diet what do you think like i would genuinely just ask like I, how do you feel it works for you like does it actually suit to your you know your lifestyle your body like people may be thinking like i'm doing it because i've heard it's good but when actually you like try it which is fine. I would probably say if you, you know, if you want, try. But then, if the, if it doesn't suit you, why would you push for something like that? Like many people were were like um, buzzing about keto when it came out. I think with like the CrossFit boom, um, and I think like genuinely people figured that it's just not okay. Like it's just not good for everyone. Most aerobic um, sport in the world. Let's not eat carbs. Yeah. It's like um, so, it's like intermittent fasting. If I tried that, it would be terrible. But for someone that trained fairly early, it might might be a really yeah. good diet. Yeah. Who was the person, Mark? It was winding up Jackie the other day. Um, that Greg, um, he'd lost loads of weight and he's he's put out a, a diet video or he's put out like a, a diet plan. Um, and he was like he's like a presenter of like a oh, um, is it a cook? Chef, the one from MasterChef. Yeah, yeah, yeah the MasterChef yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. Like, I mean, you, I think you've got to take a long, hard look at yourself if you're buying the diet plan off Greg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comparatively saying, oh, who who did Greg's diet plan? Or, you know, maybe look at the coach versus the celebrity. Greg Wallace. Uh, Greg Wallace. If you're going to Greg Wallace for your nutrition, you should probably have a long, hard look at yourself. Yeah. Versus <laughs> saying, who, what, what did he do? And who's the guy that, you know, who was his trainer? Who was his coach? Yeah. Yeah. It's crit a bit of critical thinking, isn't it? I think, which yeah, is maybe a bit difficult these days, but that's true. Well, it's, it's context, isn't it? Middle ground and trying to, you know, get fat, fat diets, uh, quick, quick, quick cells and things like that. I think your, your best option is for longevity, get yourself educated, get some help off someone who, you know, who knows what they're doing and find what, find what works for you. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, you know, inferring anything from a research, what what were the mechanisms that caused the effects and how can you apply them to yourself? 
in, in your context or in your client's context or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what better way to end than on Greg Wallace? I think that's a finishing <laughs> point. Um, happy days. All right. Um, well, until next time. We'll, Thanks, Sam. We'll, uh, see you again. Yeah, good chat. Good chat today. Thank you, um, everyone. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Hope you enjoyed. And we'll see you next week.